Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Amber Furman, and this is episode 28 of the More Than Corporate podcast. I have Chris Jordan on the show with me this week, and I am super excited about this episode. And honestly, I was so excited to talk to him that I had to do it twice. And what I mean by that is, unfortunately, I lost a battle with technology, and we did our first interview, and then the audio didn't save on it, and I had to make that embarrassing Um, email message to him asking him to do another interview with me and he was kind enough to do that so I want to say like multiple thank yous to Chris for being willing to not only do one interview with me but two interviews so throughout the episode you may hear him talk about the last time we talked and and go into things that that we had discussed previously and that's because my computer failed me so as we go into this interview he talks a lot about what it was like for him growing up where he learned leadership skills in the military and took that then into creating this inspired to lead program that is doing its fourth year in February in Delaware. So he goes deep into the ideas of self-development. We talk a lot about different books that we've read that may be interesting to you or have definitely helped both of us along our journeys. So I'm super excited for you to hear what Chris has to say. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the interview. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I am super excited to have um, Chris with us today. And for those of you who don't know, he is a veteran. He's a foster parent. He has an amazing event that he does called Inspired to Lead that I'm really excited for him to be able to tell you guys about. But let's go ahead and start with a little bit about um, kind of who you are and kind of what you're doing with your life now. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for the opportunity just to spend some time with you and, and to share a little bit, a little bit about me, I guess. Uh, you know, I think last, I always like to say in a galaxy far, far away, you know, I, I was born uh, in a place called South Bend, Indiana, grew up in a little town called Lansing, just south of Chicago, literally the very tip of Southern Chicago. Uh, I had a rough life, you know, uh, most of us do, we all have those ups and downs and stuff, but I had some experiences that uh, kind of shook me at a very young age. Uh, I walked away from that life very early on, taking care of myself, getting jobs, maybe not doing well with them, some of those jobs, but really just kind of learning how to take care of myself, uh, at, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old on up till I joined the military right out of high school at 18. And, um, you know, I joined the Air Force, and so I was watching the July 4th fireworks as best I could through the windows at attention in my bed. So that was a complete shell shock in my life. It was <laughs> nothing I'd ever been experienced, had experienced before, so that was cool. But I learned a lot in my military career. I was in the military for about 11 years. I joined in 94. I got out in 2005, and then I became a law enforcement officer in the county I live now. And I did that for about 10 years before uh, resigning. I had an opportunity to uh, walk away from that and start our business. And that process has been about three and a half years in the making. You know, we all know if we're in business or doing anything, it's a constant, you know, growth and things like that. And there's constant evolution, but it's been one crazy wild couple decades of life. So no doubt. Isn't that the best description of life ever? Crazy wild decades, right? Was the military always in the plans for you or how did you find that route in your life? I don't think it ever was. I I don't have a lot of history in my family of military. I did have an uncle that was in the Navy and I believe my grandfather was also, I don't know if he was in the Navy or he worked with it, um, but somehow there was that involvement. Otherwise, I really didn't have a lot of influence militarily in my family. It was a way for me to get out. It was a way for me to get away. It was just a way for me not to have to deal with things, you know what I mean? Um, so I think that was more of what it was. It was an opportunity for me to uh, find something new to do and 
get out <laughs> travel. I'm interested to know, was there any pressure from um, those in your family to either go the college route when you said you were going to go into the military or was it kind of up to your decision? It was mine. Um, I, I was pretty much estranged from my family at that point. Um, you know, my dad basically had raised me and, and you know, I was born with a cleft lip and palate and, you know, my mom and my dad separated very early on. My dad remarried when I was eight. And so, you know, that life was just, it was insane and uh, pretty much estranged from them and kind of in and out of the house and back and forth and up and down. And a lot of weird decisions that were made. And, and one thing that uh, you know, I know in our conversation we talked about was this whole memory thing about how, you know, the way I remember things happening and my feelings in that, my perspective, you know, was maybe a little different. If I go back and talk to my dad and, you know, stepmom, they have a completely different perspective. And, and you know, so going through that process of, you know, what really happened, uh, sometimes I don't know if I can actually put my finger on it, but I do know that there was an estrangement. Uh, it was not a good break and the decision ultimately was mine uh, to make and, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really have anybody pressure me one way or the other. I actually had a couple scholarships to colleges and I, it was just me. I just didn't want to deal with that. I wanted to get away and college to me wasn't the answer that moment. It's interesting that you say that. I mentioned this in the intro before we started, or I will mention it in the intro that I'll record when we're done here, but um, we're having this conversation for a second time because Amber lost a fight with technology. Um, <laughs> and we um, had this really interesting conversation about memory law or about memory. And um, the fact that nobody really knows, like in any situation that you're in, nobody really knows what truly happens because we all remember things differently. Um, and I know you mentioned you were in law enforcement. I'm an attorney, criminal defense and immigration. And and in both of those arenas, people's memories become extremely important. And it's interesting to see how one person or how one event can be described so differently by multiple people and everybody think they're right. Yeah, oh, absolutely. My wife and I actually were just talking about this again over the weekend, not even related to our earlier conversation, but just in general. And just, you know, how much of what we quote unquote remember is either fabricated in some way through what people have told us, or maybe uh, things we thought we saw or things we heard. And then our mind like just puts together these puzzle pieces and we call it a memory. And yeah, it's just, it's wild to think, okay, so is my life a lie? <laughs> no, right. No. Well, and it's crazy because um, I've done a lot of um, NLP training. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. so I've done some NLP training, and I remember when I was um, talking to my coach for the first time about some of the things that were kind of being said in these trainings as you start like digging into memories, and I remember asking her, like, I don't think this is real. Like, how, how can this really be the way that people are remembering things? Um, and she says, it doesn't matter whether it's real or not, because your brain thinks that it's real, and it's affecting everything that you do. And so that was insane to me to think that things that we fabricated through things that we've picked up throughout our life can impact what we do in the future just because our brain is using that as a filtering system for everything we do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, and that's the business I'm in is breaking that stuff down, right? And, and kind of opening up, you know, some truths in the here and now, no matter what you've been through. I mean, we've all been through stuff and you can either drag that with you and, and never go anywhere or you can cut that off and say, you know what, I can make a new memory that I know is legit. You know, one thing I told my wife and I were talking about, I was like, maybe we just need to write this down when it happens and, uh, you know, make sure that we're, we're doing this because uh, I'll just share this real quick if I can, if I, if I can have the liberty. Absolutely. So since I last talked to you, we had this incident happen. <laughs> And this is probably going to be the basis of some sort of training or, or talk that my, my wife and I end up doing in the future. But it, it goes back to what happened in perspective, right? So my wife works, you know, um, like an 8 to 4.30 job. I'm kind of the stay-at-home dad because I work from home. We have the foster kids. And, and in the morning, our usual normal schedule, right? We both get up. She gets ready. I get the uh, uh, one, uh, one of, I call them littles, one of our littles ready for school. She takes them and then I take care of the other two and my day goes on, right? Well, this one morning, uh, sh I get woken up and my wife is next to me. And all I think I hear is, can you take care of him? And it's the baby, the one-year-old was crying. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, she's up and I missed the alarm. And so she's asking me to take care of the baby so that she can go get ready. That's what goes through my mind in a matter of like milliseconds, right? And so I get up and it's 
pitch dark in the room and I'm stumbling over. We have three dogs and two of them are big. And of course they're always on my side. And I'm, you know, gracefully just like falling over them to get into the bedroom. And so I get in the bedroom and I lay the baby down and just out of habit, I grab the three-year-old out of bed, carry him out into the bathroom, turn the light on, like tell him, go ahead, go potty, get, start getting dressed, you know, stuff like that. I come out of the hallway into the bedroom, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my wife is in bed. And I'm thinking, what, what are you doing? I'm like, why are you in bed? You're going to be late for work. Like, what are you doing? And she doesn't say anything. So I go <laughs> grab my phone off the counter and I'm looking at it and I'm just like, oh, this is not good. I'm like, what the flip just, I'm like, no. Oh, seriously? You know, so I threw, I'm like, it's 2.15 in the morning <laughs> and I'm totally prepping for the day. So I have to go get this three-year-old, redress for bed, put him, I get to bed and I'm just, you know, I'm stone silent. My wife tells him, she's like, laying next to me dying because she's trying not to laugh because she's thinking why is the light on like what is he doing <laughs> and then when she finally put it all together but when she tells the story it's just so much funnier because she's doing it from a perspective of laying in bed like what is going on but me the whole time i'm thinking we are late we got to get going um it was it was funny so in the morning when we actually finally got up uh she come into the kitchen uh, after getting ready and just looked at me and we just both started busting up laughing because I mean that was just one of those experiences that you, you'll remember she'll always have her perspective I'll always have my perspective but this is what happened uh, and it's a story to tell so oh yeah that's that's crazy I don't remember whether we touched on this when we talked before but um, are you familiar with Brene Brown absolutely okay so Brene Brown has um, she's the foundation of everything that I've been able to accomplish. Um, it's where my story started. And um, she has a new Netflix special. And on her Netflix special, she talks about her and her husband when they're getting ready, when they feel this argument coming on, they start talking about the stories in their head. And she talks about how like every argument that really exists and every interaction that goes on between human beings is based upon the story that each human being has in their head. And if mm. you can articulate that story to the person that you're talking to, in this case, your significant other, before it blows up into the fact that you guys are yelling and screaming at each other for things that are completely unrelated to each <laughs> other. Um, and so they actually have this like agreement between the two of them that when one of them is feeling something, they'll, they'll tell each other the story in my head is saying this and I really need you to talk to me. And I remember her saying that the first time and thinking, man, that's powerful for every human interaction that we have. Wow. That is really good. It's pretty insane. Um, she has so much good stuff anyways, but um, so one of, it, one of my speakers, Kat Middleton, actually, she's a Brene Brown um, uh, follower or whatever. She's taking the course. She's certified to teach or whatever the whole thing. She's, she's our lead speaker for the event. So, oh my uh, gosh, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I remember, so um, not to go too far into my <laughs> horrible history, but no, it's not bad. Um, but when I had my breakdown in 2016 and I went to a therapist for the very first time and I sat in her office for an hour and bawled and hyperventilated, I left there with one homework assignment and it was to watch Brene Brown's TED talk or watch Brene Brown's, yeah, her, her TED talks. And that was the beginning of what changed my life. And so she has a special place in my heart. That's awesome. So inspired to lead is your event. Um, yeah. You talked about the military, you talked about law enforcement. Where did this um, passion for leadership come from and kind of where did you start picking up those skills? Yeah, well, um, I guess I would have to go back into the military. I, 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 I always think back to, you know, before that and say that I, I probably learned some things, you know, a lot of what not to do. I think I made a lot of mistakes as a kid, but I was also put in a lot of weird situations that I can go back and think, well, maybe I learned bits and pieces that really culminated into a specific point in time in the Air Force. And it was about, I don't know, I guess I was maybe two years in. I was really low rank and I'd already pretty much kind of rose into a position that was very uh, higher ranked 
position, but I was doing it at a very low rank. And so I automatically was already starting to learn, you know, communication and building relationships and be able to influence up and down a chain of command. And we know the military is not, that's not an easy thing to do, but I was able to do it. I, I had a skill that back then I didn't even recognize. Now I do, I understand what it is, but being able to connect with people very quickly where they're at and creating some impact and influence in their life. And so what happened was we were, uh, you know, we, we, we secured priority weapons. And in order to do that, you have to be certified. You have to go through testing and all this kind of stuff. And we were at that time for our unit at like a 30% pass rate, something just abysmal. Like it should scare everybody in the U.S. Like this is like absolutely unacceptable. So what we decided to do was, um, because nobody could seem to, there was no real traction as to how to fix this. So I actually uh, grabbed another guy that was a little bit, you know, about the same time frame as I was. And we said, we got to fix this. Like, what are we going to do? And we created a training program, basically, uh, that included written stuff, oral uh, presentations, uh, going out and doing scenario-based training, all that kind of stuff. And we, in about three months, split that whole thing over from 30% to about 90 five percent um very quickly and it was sustained for the whole time we were there and i don't know if it continued on but what happened was we incorporated it into our unit from you know the commander on down and we we presented it first there um, i know we talked about before a little bit about this so i'll just say it here we didn't go ask permission you know we just did it because we saw a need and we're like we're just going to fix this problem and then eventually maybe somebody will just grab a little bit or they won't. We'll just do it for ourselves. It's not about that. And what happened is people did see that and they said, okay, wow, well, what are you guys doing? And it started getting implemented. So it was, that was my first taste at, uh, you know, seeing a problem, coming up with a solution and taking action on it and really seeing a result. I love it. And honestly, like that's something that's so important for everybody who is thinking about going out and maybe starting their own thing to understand is that very rarely do programs or organizations or businesses start because somebody has a product and they go to sell that product. What mm -hmm. happens is that somebody sees a need that needs to be filled and they realize that there's a way that they can fill that need. Um, I was just listening to a podcast yesterday where um, one of the girls was talking about the fact that the reason she started her company, which is now a multi, multi-million dollar company, was because she was a mother and she saw that she wanted products that didn't exist. And so she went out and made them. And so when you talk about creating this training program, because you saw this need that needed to be filled, like people need to focus on that a little bit more. How do I, how do I fill a need, even if it's in my life or in somebody else's life? Cause I can almost guarantee you that if you have a need in your life, somebody else has that same need as well. Yeah. And, and I think you're, you're kind of, you know, skirting around a word and it's called specific, being very specific to what a need or a problem is, but not your perspective, the audience. So whether I'm teaching you how to be a better public speaker or whether I'm, you know, doing a teaching on leadership and team development, it doesn't really matter where, what space I'm in. If I'm going to start, you know, build a product or start a bit, it always has to originate from your audience. It always has to originate from who is going to be the receiver because you can create the best product in all the world in your opinion and it may be but if they're not you know seeing it you know they don't believe it's for them then it's never going to be bought into so oh 100 um so much about this podcast is about um defining your own idea of success and kind of living that out can you talk a little bit of the military and um law enforcement and kind of the ways you saw the success defined in those organizations and the impact that had on people? Yeah. Uh, first, I'm going to start with where I am now. So the way I define success, success now is completely different. Um, and it's one reason why I think I walked away from law enforcement and ultimately the military. So let me go back now and, and kind of see what that is. So even though I had a taste of what leadership was and getting that result, it's it still, there was still, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't like I, I took this program and made millions off of it. it. It was within a military structure and that's where it stayed. Like there's not going to be this expansion. There's not going to be this growth. It's going to be all taken care of and you're still going to get paid your, you know, $5 an, an hour that you're getting paid or whatever it is. And you're just going to go on in life. So success, there wasn't really a definition of success other than it was, you passed a certification, you made the next, uh, you know, um, promotion for for you know staff sergeant or whatever rank it is you're going for uh you got that next job quote unquote but you know success was defined completely different based on where you were you know some 
some of the things that define success is mission accomplished out on the battlefield, you know, getting home safe, you know, writing that, um, you know, standard operating procedure and getting it approved. I mean, those, but it's all structured. There's no real, uh, you know, lid breaking definition of success in the military and the law enforcement is kind of the same way. Um, even though you could say, okay, I had success in solving this problem for this family and we didn't have to return back to this house for any more issues. Or uh, you would say maybe arresting the person for, you know, burglarizing that house is, is success. I, I think it's very defined by, uh, you know, operating procedure, uh, law, and, you know, the structures that are set in place because it's a very, you know, follow orders and do it a specific way, black and white kind of world. And I've, I've felt, always felt like there was something more. And, and so when it comes to success, one of the things I always ask people, one of, the, one of the first things I ask is, how do you define success? And not just the surface level, well, I want a big house and, you know, I want to be able to do what I want to do, but what really does it mean for you? Because I lived a long time not having that that idea. And when I got out on my own and didn't have structure to tell me, I struggled with defining success. And so I, uh, the way I define it for me now is my success is really bottom line comes down to those who I work with, those that uh, I influence or in my sphere, you know, my circle of influence. If they're finding what their definition of success is and living that out, then I find success in that because that's just where my heart is. I look at like these successes that are defined, like you just said, as far as accomplishing a particular mission. And I see so many dangers in that. What are the dangers that you maybe experienced or that you can see based upon your experience in tying your success to a specific tangible outcome that's outside of your control? You know, there's good and bad to it. I mean, obviously there's satisfaction in accomplishing any goal, right? Um, and I will never, you know, a lot of the beginning of any coaching or training that I do is, is being able to establish goals, whether that's defined for you or you define them, but getting those small wins. But ultimately it's about breaking through that definition and to go a little bit bigger because we all actually if we really get down to it, I think we all want something more. We want to impact more people. We want to create influence in a bigger way. And, um, you know, I liken it to Bruce Lee and everybody said he was the hardest hitter that ever lived, but it's because his target was past, you know, the thing he was striking, whether that was a person or a board or whatever, his, his target was actually through that, um, obstacle. And I think a lot of times we set goals, which is good, but we're teaching people basically to be limited by that because, what what's beyond that? What's the next step? And while there's training out there that says, okay, goal, 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 there's still a defined step and defined process when we should really kind of have that vision that goes beyond that. And those goals will actually present themselves. And then you're actually walking toward where you need to go versus creating some sort of goal system to get somewhere you're not even sure about. Oh my gosh, that's so powerful, especially where you talk about vision. Um, I, when I started working with my coach, the first thing that she did was ask me to set 90-day, six-month, one-year, and five-year goals. And I couldn't get to the one-year and five-year goals. I couldn't see that far when I first started. And I didn't realize how narrow-minded is not a very fair word, but I'm going to use it, um, how narrow-minded I had become in, in what my life could be. And, and what it could accomplish because my entire life has been defined by getting a degree and then coming into the law and accomplishing the next career-based goal that when I started trying to have a vision and trying to dream about what my life could be in three or five years, I couldn't see that far. And so I think it's really important when you talk to people about the vision idea and then setting goals that align with that vision uh, because we forget, we forget to look and dream. And I feel like it's kind of beaten out of us in um, education. You know, we go through a class, you go through a grade, you start all over. It's, it's a, education's a factory for education yes. or for grades. And I know some educators that are probably going to beat me for this, but learning comes kind of secondary to grades and yeah. graduation in um, our current education system. And through that process, by the time we're seniors in high school, we've forgotten how to dream. You for, and the thing is what teachers should be doing is teaching 
you how to learn. They're like you should be learning how to learn. And what they're doing is, is government got involved and in, in their structure, right? And this is why I'm kind of like not, I'm not anti-military, anti-law enforcement in any way, shape or form, but I'm anti the structure because it limits people. Like you got to have structure with certain things. Yes, I understand that. But when I'm talking about, you know, what's the bigger picture, man, that structure totally perverts potential. And one of the things you're hitting on is favorite quote. I use this in pretty much every thing I do is, and I don't think I shared this last time, maybe, but this is my favorite quote, limited perspective limits potential. And the reason I remember this is because you were talking about that narrow mindedness and how there, there's, there's two sides to the story, right? We need to be laser focused, right? Everybody's like, if you're not laser focused, you're just kind of all over the place. You're never going to get anything done. So we've got to be focused. But at the same time, if we don't have a perspective within that focus, we're going to miss a lot of things that we need to be aware of or that may be happening so that we're missing opportunities or missing these you know, moments. And so while we got to be laser focused, we also got to have that bigger vision and see the bigger picture so that we don't miss when we need to maybe turn or redirect or do what we need to do to continue going in the direction that we're supposed to be going. 100%. And you know, that scientifically that's supported by the way that our minds work, right? Like mm -hmm. there's so many pieces of information that are coming in our minds all the time. And based upon what we've told our brain that we want to focus on, our brain filters out the stuff that is not in alignment with what we've identified as our priorities. Mm. And so we don't, we don't see those things. If we're not keeping an open mind about what's possible and what we could be looking for, and we're so laser focused on that one specific goal, so many opportunities in life and business and, you know, every area of our wheels um, can just pass us by because we're, our brain's just not even filtering it through for us to see. Yeah, absolutely. Our subconscious is taking everything in, but consciously, what is it? Paul Sheely, you talk about NLP, Paul uh -huh. Sheely, and you know, I think he said, you know, what is it? I don't remember the numbers exactly, but something like 40 million bytes per second or whatever we're taking in, but we're consciously only aware of like, you know, 40 or something like yeah. that. It's like this minute, tiny little per, you know, percentage, but your subconscious is taking everything in. And what you're tying into is just that simple process of whatever I decide up here, my subconscious has no choice but to agree. So if I say I can't do something, my subconscious is going to go, yep, yep, you're right, you can't. Here's why, 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 why. But if you say I must do that, you know, that whole, you know, just perspective shift, that whole mindset shift, your brain's going to go, okay, well, here's how you can. You're, you're, inventiveness, your creativeness, all those things start becoming stronger because you have to support the decision that was made consciously. So it's powerful. Right. And it's, it sounds so cliche when people say this, but this conversation right here is the reason it's so important, um, is that you can't accomplish something that you can't see. So if mm. you can't, um, visualize yourself being able to do something, you're not going to be able to do it because your brain physically won't allow you to see the things that need to get you to that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just simple. Like when I was in baseball, you know, the coach would be like, visualize, <laughs> you know, swinging and hitting the ball, visualize catching the ball because yes, I mean, if you can do that and do it right, like, you know, that practice, you know, um, when you go to do it, even if you've never done it before, your brain thinks it has and will respond. Have you ever um, heard of the movie Chasing Mavericks or the book Making Mavericks? No. So um, the, the book Making Mavericks talks about this a ton. So both of these are around professional surfer Jay Moriarty, who died when he was 22, and his um, professional surfing career and his coach that got him to surf the Mavericks, which are some of the biggest waves in California. And um, in the book Making Mavericks, the coach is talking about his story that got him to where he was strong enough and able to coach other people using what he had used. And he talks about visualization. And what was so crazy is he talks about it in his swimming career. And he talked about being able to cut like seconds, like double digit seconds off of his swim time. But it came from standing in front of a mirror and visualizing the way his muscles should move wow. in order to, because his, his comment was that once you're in that pool, instinct takes over. And whatever you have trained is going gonna, is gonna to kick in. So if outside of the pool, you visualize what you're supposed to be doing um, in the pool, it will 
translate to a faster swimming time. And he took this as far as um, avoiding the draft to Vietnam because he visualized being in the middle of war and he made his blood pressure rise so fast that he couldn't pass a physical. And then he would go on his way. And so he avoided the draft by visualizing that he was in the middle of war and then he couldn't pass physical. It's an amazing, fantastic book if you're interested in checking that out. But he talks yeah, about visualization a lot. Yeah, I wrote it down. Well, it's funny because it's like mind over matter. It's like Jedi mind trick stuff, man. It's like, you know, people think that's, you know, that's just weird, but it's legit. Like, you know, um, if, if you know Paul Schiele, he actually talks about a, hypnoti a hypnotism situation, uh, you know, where they had this, this 10 people go through some process. They're doing this hypnotism to see if it helped with healing, you know, by, you know, speaking, you know, things into their brain while they're under. And there's all of them healed, but one lady. And, it, and she was like actually getting worse. And when they like kind of went back and went through the process, she identified a point where the anesthesiologist was talking and said, was talking about his German shepherd or some dog he had that wouldn't heal. Like, oh. you know, and what happened is her brain took that as heal, H-E-A-L. And when he walked her through, he said, okay, well, how does that look in your head? Like spell that. And it, she spelled it, H-E-A-L, I won't heal. And so they went through and changed it in her mind. She actually physically said, okay, I will. And within like a week, her tooth was fine. And it's like, to me or to most people, you'd be like, there's no way, like that's crazy. But the mind has power. The mind is so powerful. More, I, I never really bought into the idea of this mindset stuff until the last few years. <laughs> I bought into positivity and I, I preach this to people when I talk now, like kind of soapbox preach. I should probably step it down a little bit. But um, <laughs> the idea that like positivity and mindset are two completely different things. Like we as a world are trained to be positive and it's one of the worst things that we can do outside of like mindset and actually like acknowledging the things that are not going on in our life and then figuring out how we can change those instead of just burying our head in the sand, putting a smile on our face and saying we're positive. Wow. Come on. I, yeah, the last, <laughs> last couple of years I've done that. I had to go through a whole mindset thing myself because I came from the structure to unstructure and my bird apparently doesn't like that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I come from this you know, structured life where I didn't have to promote myself or put myself out there to try to figure out, okay, how, how do I do this and keep a humble spirit? How do I not compromise my values? How do I, you know, and how do I still have a voice? And I had to go through this mindset of I'm, I'm a, not good enough and change, breaking these barriers down. And it just it was this whole method I went through. And I now, I now share it with people because it had a major impact on me. So. Well, and isn't that the powerful thing? I mean, if, if people weren't willing to share what they've been through, we have so many advances that we wouldn't have been able to make. And so I know it's difficult for people to get out and talk about their story, but it's how we all grow and how we all realize what is, is able to be accomplished. And, and honestly, especially in our area of entrepreneurism and growing a business, like we, I know before I got into the space, I always thought that this was for people that weren't me. This was for people who were born in a particular way or had a particular life or, you know, had money or, you know, whatever, whatever experiences I didn't come from, those, those people had it. And then you surround yourself, you go to these events and you surround yourself with people who are just like you that are, that have no superpowers and they just like did the thing and ended up where they're at. And it's so powerful to humanize those people when they share their stories. Yeah. One of the best things out there is just being authentic and vulnerable. People will attach to that and you'll meet them without even really trying. You'll meet them where they are. And that's the first key in order to even impact or influence anybody to go somewhere is you have to meet them where they are. You have to know the starting point. So yeah, yeah 100%. And being authentic and vulnerable, you know, we talk about that a lot on this podcast, but it's so important because people will see through fake, maybe not yeah. the first meeting or the second <laughs> meeting, but if you're not truly in it for the right reasons or you're not doing something that you're authentically congruent with, either you're going to fizzle out or people are going to stop following you because they might not be able to see what doesn't feel right, but something won't feel right to them yeah, and they'll back absolutely. off. Absolutely. Yeah. We talked about kind of goal setting and visions and things like that. And that leads um, awesomely 
if that's a word it is now, into um, kind of this idea of comfort zones, which has been a huge impact in my life. But can you talk a little bit about um, what you think the importance is of being able to step out of your comfort zone as you're setting this vision and setting these goals? Uh, it's supremely important. Um, I, you know, without, you know, projecting faith, I don't know about all that, but, you know, I'm a born again Christian as of seven years ago. And I can tell you that I am purposely meant to be uncomfortable because I've been given a comforter. You know, it, my life wasn't, you know, so I could be comfortable and sit on my couch and just, you know, watch Netflix all day and eat ice cream and sing Kumbaya with my family. It was to go out and impact this world. And that's kind of the environment that you and I are in. And so we have to do things that are going to stretch us and grow us. And I think we mentioned it before, like some of these experiences, these personal stories, these struggles that we go through, I don't think any of us have more comfortable in those moments. You know, our, our, our childhood and some of those situations we're dealing with, you know, you know, relationships breaking down, you know, whatever it is that we're dealing with, those are uncomfortable places to be, but they stretch us, they grow us, uh, you know, the whole saying, you know, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, you know, that whole concept. But ultimately, it's, it's really, when you, when you go through that, you're forced to grow. But when you intentionally choose to put yourself in an uncomfortable position, that's where I think you really begin to, you know, have impact. And I think you really grow your perspective, which unlocks your potential, which then truly brings your gifting to this world, uh, you know, to be consumed. So. Wow. Um, you know, something just, what you just said just resonated with me so much. And I was thinking about the fact that we hear people say so many times, like I made it through this and I feel strong for making it through this. And that's the force that you're talking about. Like they had something that they was out of their control that yeah. was awful that they had to make it through and they did. And now they feel strong for making it through, but the power of that strength still goes to that struggle. The power still goes to that external force. Whereas wow. if you choose to make that, then all of a sudden you are taking the power and you can say, look how strong I was for choosing to do this, even when I didn't have to. And I didn't realize until you just said that, how powerful that distinction is. Yeah, it's bridging it. It's, it's translating that, right? So when you try to figure out what is my superpower, because you mentioned earlier, like, we, you know, we don't all, well, we, we kind of do all have a superpower, but I get what you're saying. Like the concept of being around the same people, the same mindsets and all that kind of stuff. But when you figure out what it is your strength is, your superpower, whatever you want to call it, right? Ultimately, a lot of people won't go down that road because it pulls them back into that place where, yeah, they went through a struggle and they made it but they don't believe that that is actually going to be the catapult in their life to take them to the next level because they don't know how to bridge that and say, okay, I can take the strength and not relive that life, but take that strength and now share it with others and, and use it um, you know, to impact this world. So yeah, I'm, I'm great, great catch on that. I love it. And it's interesting for me, like for, for me, comfort zones came from the physical side long before they came from the mental side. And I hadn't really put I hadn't put the idea of being outside of my comfort zone. I mean, I had seen all the like quotes and everything about nothing good comes from your comfort zone, but I didn't really understand what that meant. And I wasn't able to comprehend it. And I started running tough mutters and like physically putting myself out of my comfort zone. And what I learned was that your brain can't distinguish between one thing or the other. And so if you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone physically, then naturally your brain becomes more comfortable being uncomfortable mm -hmm. in other situations as well. And so I did a podcast episode in the very beginning when I did this about how Tough Mudder changed my life. And that's the reason because I constantly, almost twice a month, pushed myself out of my comfort zone for a year. And then all of a sudden you're like, what can't I do? And so I... I highly suggest people get out and do anything that's out of your comfort zone. It doesn't have to be mental. Do anything out of your comfort zone because it is going to translate. I mean, you could, I mean, I love that you're saying that because I mean, just think about working out. And I think we mentioned this before, you know, if I'm just going to do push-ups every morning, that's great for about a month, you know, I'm going to build a certain strength and stamina and stuff. But then at some point, my body's going to be like, okay, whatever. I'm comfortable now. Now I can just push out push-ups for all day long. But if I throw jumping jacks in there, sit-ups, you know, do a little weightlifting, now I'm changing things up. I'm making my body uncomfortable, you know, physically, 
but that's where the growth happens. That's absolutely where it is. And then the mental to that, I think we mentioned before, was the whole switching of a mind, like from can't to must. And uh, one thing I tell a lot of people when they're you know, starting to public speak and how do you get up there? And, you know, I'm just so nervous. Right. And I'm like, change that word nervous to excited because like you said, the body physiologically is doing the exact same thing. It's just a word that changes the mentality of it and the mindset of it. That's going to help propel you into an uncomfortable position, but still be comfortable in that position. So. 100%. And we did talk about that before that the physiological thing that's going on in your body beside between excitement and nervousness is the same. What's happening is that your brain is putting that title on it. Your brain is creating an ending to the story that's making you anxious, that yeah. causes nervousness rather than causing the excitement that it should be yeah, crazy. Nailing it. And that goes back to what we said, like what you decide in your mind, your subconscious is going to support. So if you're nervous, your subconscious is going to come up with what you just said, all the reasons why. Um, so you say excited, all the reasons why. So yeah, I love it. An outcome is huge. Not, we don't have to know the outcome, but if we visualize an outcome and whether that happens or doesn't, we can still be excited in the process. So. Absolutely. 100%. And when we talk about goal setting, I mean, that's important too, because we set these huge goals and a lot of times we'll tell ourselves, oh, there's no way that I can reach that. But what if you do? And, and if you set this goal of, you know, let's say a million dollar year and you don't meet that, but you exceed where you're at now, then are you, are you really going to be upset that you didn't hit your $1 million and hit 800,000 instead? You know, right. so it's setting those big goals and just giving yourself permission to dream. That's, but you're right. Like you can write that goal down on a piece of paper all you want, but if you're not willing to push yourself, not willing to get out of your comfort zone, it's just going to end up being another post-it note that goes in the trash. Yeah. I mean, my whole mantra is I just, I inspire action, you know, being in, being inspired is a feeling, you know, so the whole idea of inspired to lead isn't just, Oh, I'm going to give you this feeling of being inspired. Inspiration actually comes from action, right? So it's kind of backwards to be inspired to lead. It's really kind of a play on words. Now that I think about it and I'm kind of walking through this with you, but ultimately it's about creating an experience that, that inspires action. And then through that action, just kind of re-inspires you because as you start to take action, see results, that's going to inspire you, motivate you. And that is what other people are going to see. And that's how you're going to have impact in the world. So I, I kind of just walked that through that with you a little bit. Oh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, um, you know, I was talking to somebody about this just recently that goes just on point with what you were saying that um, we never know who we're impacting and we're yeah. always impacting somebody, whether it's positively or negatively, we're always impacting somebody just by living our life. And I know that everybody has had that moment where somebody has come up to them and said, I just want to thank you because you got me through this and all they were doing was living their life and they had no idea that anybody was watching. So when we ourselves try to live the best life that we can, we're always going to be inspiring somebody else to do the same yeah, you're, just you're by nature. It. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the, um, side of this that people don't like to discuss, which is failure. Um, <laughs> I use the word and um, I use this caveat in every interview. I probably just need to use a different word um, that I don't believe in failure. I don't believe that failure exists until you stop trying. Um, I think mm. that there's only feedback and you learn from it and you move on. But because I haven't found a better word, we're going to use failure. Um, so can you talk about like how that's played a role in your success, your willingness to push past that a little bit about what failure has done for you in your life. Yeah. I mean, I think if you want to change the word from failure, you just change it to mistakes. We're just yes. going to make mistakes along the way. Uh, you know, Thomas Edison would tell you that I don't think if you, if you really want to get down to it, he wouldn't tell you failed a thousand times. He just made a thousand mistakes until he got it right, you know? Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's a word and, you know, we don't, we can get all technical, but ultimately, um, you know, it's, it's just how you relate that word failure into your life. So do you see failure as an end game or do you see failure as a, a as a push, right? So, and I think a lot of that is our experiences and you got to come to a point of saying, okay, back in the day, if I failed or I made a mistake, I would stop. I wouldn't get back up. I would abandon that and go somewhere else. Uh, you know, especially when business building, you, you come across the first moment that something doesn't work right. How many business people are like, 
I'm done. I'm like going on to the next thing. This is never going to work. Right. And that whole mindset is just jacked up because they've been taught, you know, societally wise or culturally wise that failure, you know, is not an option. And if you do fail that, you know, that's it. But I think that there's a shift and that failure is not anything more than a learning moment. You know, I think you kind of mentioned that it is just an opportunity to, to reflect. And I think you mentioned somebody um, in our last interview, I wrote, I wrote down, I don't think I have that paper. It's in the other room uh, about a guy who, you know, said that he does an after action report. The reason you do those things is to reflect and say, okay, what didn't, didn't work. And now what can I adjust? And it goes back to goal setting. If I have a vision and all my goals come into place and I make this goal, but something didn't work right. You have a moment to say, okay, what did or didn't align with it, align with that vision? Let's adapt and change or do what we got to do. And then let's press forward because the minute, like you said, you stop pressing forward, you've given up and you you're dead. <laughs> you're yeah. Dead. Um, and it's David Goggins, by the way, David Goggins right. in his book, um, you can't hurt me. You know, it's interesting because, um, another author of mine that I really like that wrote, um, so it's Mark Manson and he wrote the subtle art of not giving a fuck. And it's an amazing book, but he talks about failure in that book in a way of being authentic with what you want to accomplish mm. and realizing that goals can change. And so taking that moment, um, and he talks about it a lot in the idea of thinking he wanted to be a musician, but then realizing that he didn't want to put the work into being a musician. And he says, I didn't fail at being a musician. I just realized it wasn't as important to me as I thought it was. I reanalyzed my goals. I thought authentically about what I wanted to accomplish. And then I redirected where I wanted to go. And I think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough is that if we don't reach our goals, but we learn that that goal wasn't what we wanted to begin with, then it's not a failure. And wow. I, I think that kids are raised today in a, in a world that teaches them that not accomplishing goals is failures. Right. Instead of teaching them that you learn something from it, you reset your compass based upon what you learned and where you want to go and you move on. Yeah. And John Maxwell has a book that, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Uh, yeah. It's not, a, it's not about win or lose or, you know, fail or succeed sometimes. Sometimes it's just, like you said, being authentic through the process and making the necessary adjustments and decisions that you need to make to keep moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I love this. This is kind of like the library of podcasts, but it's amazing. <laughs> um, I, I obviously read way too much, but I guess that's not a bad thing. So, no. um, so Le leaders are learners and learning is reading. So yes. keep on doing your thing. <laughs> so talk about um, Inspired to Lead a little bit about kind of where the conference was born out of, what your goals are out of it and where people can find it if they want to learn more about it. Yeah, absolutely. So Inspired to Lead, actually, uh, under the name Inspired to Lead, this is actually going to be the second official uh, event under that name. It's our fourth event, um, but first, second one with Inspired to Lead. It started out as He Leads because my wife and I, uh, when she was working at the ER, we didn't have a lot of time. So one day before, before we had Littles in our house, it was just her and I, we were just kind of hanging out in bed, scrolling through Facebook, and she saw this event called She Leads. And and he's like, she said, is there a he leads? You know, no, we did some research. There was nothing out there. There's not a lot of men's events. There's a lot of women's events and women are just are killing it out there. Right. And so, you know, having, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, having my born again moment, I realized that my life before that was destructive. I, I was, I was that man that destroyed lives that didn't stand up and be the man I was created to be. I was making choices for me. I didn't care about anybody else. And it was a bad situation. And I thought, man, if, society understands you know understood that and they do i think for the most part but nobody really does anything is that you know it's it's breaking down the positional you know responsibilities and it being broken down and i was like man we're the problem men are the problem right and so we created this he leads uh event that was really well accepted but part of the issue we saw was a lot of the ladies that were helping us were like this is amazing. It's helping us. And it's not only just helping, you know, our husbands be better communicators with us and do better at work and blah, 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 but it's actually helping me understand things from a different perspective. And so the question came out, are you going to do a women's one? And I said, no, there's plenty of women's one out there. We're not going to do that, but we'll incorporate and make it a co-ed. And so our first inspired to lead was back in June and it was 
phenomenal. And so I put it together in like two and a half months. It was, it was totally a God thing. And um, we got a lot of people who said, we need to do this again. And so we're probably going to make it an annual event here in our area. Our next one's in February. And the whole premise behind it is just to build up uh, on six different topics. We go through leadership, identity, intentionality, communication, and connecting, mentorship, and accountability. But ultimately, it all comes down to the servant leadership and what it means to really serve people and to create an experience that people can you know, buy into more than it is information. So if you come to the event, you're going to realize that the speakers are not there to you know, talk to you. They're, they're going to be with you in this situation they're all going to be part of the crowd we're all taking notes we're creating a space build relationships because it's through those relationships that we're going to grow it's through those relationships we're going to be inspired it's going to be through those relationships that we find success and collaboration um you know it's breaking down the walls of competition and what about this and what about that it's just exposing all those lies that the world puts on us through education and all these things and saying the reality is person to person, heart to heart, we all have desires to do some amazing things and we can only do that together. And so we just created a space for that to happen. And uh, Inspired to Lead is basically a movement. Of- I mean, it's just an opportunity for you know, us as a human race to kind of come together and realize that we're not in competition. Like, I don't care what the background is or I don't care you know, what it is you're doing as business. What, what matters is that we put the right people in that space to connect and to help you get to that next level, whatever that looks. So the whole be inspired to be inspiring uh, concept. And um, so our fourth one is in February. It's leap year. We're we're leveraging experience to accelerate progress. Uh, So it's February 29th on the leap day. And um, you can go to teamcne.com. And I, we're right in the middle of migrating. We used to have a website that we had, we had a bunch of different, things and I'm migrating everything over to like one specific spot. We're currently in the middle of that migration. It is active. So you can go to teamcne.com, go to inspire to lead in the menu bar and still find out information, buy tickets. It's early bird registration now through the end of December. Um, but just be patient. If you see something, um, you know, or don't see something, it's continuously changing. And we're hoping by November 1st to be completely uh, set up with everything um, team CNE is about. So. Perfect. And um, just for clarity, is it the letter N, the word and, Team C, the letter N? Okay. Yep. Team C and E, all one word. And C and E is just for Chris and Emily. Um, Perfect. How that came about. So one of the things that you talked about that I'd love to have you expand on for anybody who is not familiar is this idea of servant leadership. I think it's going to change the world when everybody jumps on. But can you talk a little bit about what that is for people who may not know? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a quote out there that says, if serving is below you, then leading is not for you type of thing. I, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's basic idea that as leaders, we aren't leaders to have people serve us. We're leaders to serve them. Our goal as leaders is to make more leaders. Uh, you know, if I have a, a team, my goal as a leader of that team is to make everyone in that team bigger and better than me. You know what I mean? I need to, I, I need to do everything I can to serve them. I need to give them every tool and opportunity to make them better. So my mantra that I say, you know, through Toastmasters or trainings that I do, or even with my kids is I am going to challenge you, no doubt, but I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to empower you through that process because I don't want you to be stuck in a position because I have my thumb on you saying I'm the leader. I want to encourage and empower you through that challenge to grow and get bigger and take over for me someday. I don't, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but I want you to be bigger and better than I ever could imagine. So, um, yeah. I love that. I was not groomed in that mentality through um, any of the companies that I had worked for. And I always had this idea that if my staff outgrew me and ended up leaving to go be with someone else that could, that had a bigger operation or whatever that entailed, that I had done my job. And unfortunately, most companies operate in the idea that you should not outgrow me, that you should not, that you know, your job is to be here and do this. And, you know, if we then operate in this mentality that while you're with me, you get a hundred percent, I get a hundred percent of, of you. Um, but if you outgrow what I can offer for you, then I've done my job and good for you and go out and crush the world. And that's what's missing in so many businesses. 
Yeah. There's another quote out there that says something about like, you know, you got the, <clears throat> I think it's like a CEO and an ex, you know, another, you know, executive in there that says, why are you training them? And why are you trying to make them better? You know, what if they leave? And the CEO said, well, what if we don't train them to be better and they stay? <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, so our, our goal has to be to serve one another. You know, my, my goal here isn't for, for me to impress upon you how amazing and great Chris Jordan is. My, my purpose of connecting with you is to say, okay, how can we serve each other and help each other to the next level, whatever that looks like? Because Zig Ziglar says it best, you know, help others get what they want, then you'll get what you want. And I think that that really is based on the principle of serving the other person. Um, not not to where you say, oh my gosh, I'm so falsely humble and low, but that you understand that that person's needs are important and you have a responsibility to fulfill that. Yeah, 100%. So I wanted to comment on your event because while you were talking about it, I was, I was just um, kind of inspired. When I love the inspired, right? It's doing its job. No, I love the inspired to lead name and I love kind of where it came from, but the he leads idea to me is so powerful because you, you made a comment that, um, you know, women were out there crushing it in events. And I am so happy to see this societal shift on the role of men in these events. And I feel like so much of it has come from the idea that it's okay for women to be authentic and vulnerable and open, but it wasn't okay for men to do the same. And when you create these events that um, embrace the idea that that's the only way to be successful is to start there and then embrace grow out from that, but you have to start with being authentic and willing to be open and vulnerable. And to have something like that that goes directly to men, I think is extremely powerful. And I really wanted to commend you on that. I appreciate that. Yeah, we've been tossing around the idea of doing like more specific, but I think it's going to be um, exactly that. It's going to be more specific. Like if somebody says, hey, uh, you know, we want to bring this maybe into the space versus maybe a full on uh, event. Uh, I think it's going to have a little bit more impact that way initially. Um, and then maybe we'll look at doing a bigger one down the road. But um, yeah, I, it, there's an absolute need for men to understand that it's not about them. Uh, yeah, we have a role, to, but our role is to serve, whether that's our wife, whether that's our children, whether that's, you know, whatever it is. And ultimately, being authentic and being okay in that space, oh, you'd be surprised how much backlash I got from people, some people, when I said, you know, uh, part of the identity of the He Leads conference was, you know, being able to stand up and who you are as a man. And people like backlashed on that, especially men, because there's a lot of insecurity there because they don't want that authenticity and vulnerability to be put out there because that makes them, well, vulnerable. And as men, we've been raised to not be vulnerable. So yeah, it's, it's a deep, it's deep. And I think, uh, I appreciate that you, you kind of keyed in on that. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So before we go, um, I would love to do a quick random round. Let everybody get to know you a little bit more if you're okay with that. Yes, ma'am. All right. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? I think I said before that like I, I thought about you know, you know nursing or medical field and I realized, no, that's not it because <laughs> my wife comes home and tells me some stories. I'm like, that sounds interesting, but no. Uh, and I don't even remember what I think I ended up saying last time. But so now I get a fresh thing here. Um, and I'm kind of doing it a little bit was what now is teaching and like actually going like I do some substitute teaching and I think being in that space is really kind of cool. Um, I do it now more or less just to kind of give back because, you know, I want to be able to influence kids uh, in a positive way. But I think being a teacher would be quite interesting for me just because of the dynamics and stuff. So. I like it. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Well, I think uh, I'll stick with my original answer. It'd be right back to the garden. And I would say, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Stranger danger. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> What's the what, safe word? Tell me the safe word. <laughs> right. What personality trait has been most helpful to you throughout your life and career? my heart, um, just caring for people. Uh, everybody's always told me that it, it's just this, you know, a sincere heart that I have that really 
drew them to me. And so that's been my greatest asset and on the backside. It's also been probably my biggest weakness because it can be taken advantage of. And, and if I'm not discerning and aware of that, um, I fall into some bad traps. So how do you prefer consuming your content? Um, do you like reading books, listening to audiobooks, or listening to podcasts? Reading, no doubt. Gotta have the physical book, huh? Yes, I love like if you're looking the whole time we're talking, I'm taking like I'm always taking notes, yeah. I'm writing the margins. I'm always, I, I love the physical, just moving you know the page around, and I just I don't know, there's like more of a sense of accomplishment or something. I don't know. I was just gonna say the same thing, and I've tried to do readers like um, the Kindle readers, and it's just not the same to me. Um, just not the same. So, oh, the puppy is making an appearance again. I love the yes, puppy. Yes, she, she did. That's right. Last time she came on, and <laughs> she's actually the oldest. Um, she's thirteen, and we have a two-year-old puppy, and we have a ten-year-old Dotson. Oh. We actually had to put her son to sleep last year, and he was uh, he was ten. So she's sorry to hear it, that. It, yeah, but it's okay. She's still sweet. So yeah, she's adorable. Um, are you reading anything right now? Right now, I have a pile of about three or four different books. I just finished The Go Giver again. I'm always like in and out of Think and Grow Rich, uh, No Limits by John Maxwell. I, um, what else? Man of God. There's a book over there on uh, nine principles of leadership. So I'm constant. I don't think I, I finishing a book is hard for me. I'm in and out of so many books at any given time, but yeah, I'm constantly reading, but those are probably the ones I'm on right now. I believe. Love it. I'm laughing at your dog, by the way, not your answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's totally taking over. <laughs> she's taking over here. This is, this is what it's all about right here. Um, and interestingly, so I went to a networking event, um, a couple of weeks ago and I actually won a copy of Think and Grow Rich and I haven't read it yet. So I'm really interested to jump into that. Well, it's funny. My friend and I are actually creating a, a mastermind for it to go through that. So if that's something that you're interested in, we'll stay in touch. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a powerful, powerful book. So yeah, shoot me that information over. Um, and then lastly, if you had, and this may fall right in line, but if you um, were giving somebody one book that they should read, what would that book be? Go Giver. Go giver. All right. Well, I really, really appreciate you coming on twice um, and and doing this interview. Um, both times um, have just been amazing, and I am sorry to mention that to the people who don't get to listen to the wonderful first interview. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that was just for you and I, apparently. That's right. That's um, but I wish you the best of luck with your event. Um, shoot me the information over on that. I'll throw it in the show notes. And then if I survive, um, Delaware in November, I may make it out there for your event in February. We'll see whether I melt or whether I yeah, freeze to death or not. You'll, you'll do amazing. And I can't wait to see you. Hopefully Sunday I'll, I'll, we need to stay in touch and definitely connect out there. So that'd be awesome. Yes, absolutely. Well, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, thanks for coming on again. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Have an awesome day. Talk soon. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.